0: Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. And our service starts every Sunday at 1010 AM. Come by and see us. God bless you. And I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus. Through today's podcast. Oh, control is always a big part of our lives, always trying to control things. Friends, we are not in control, but God is, and that should give us great comfort this morning as we know that He loves us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sent to earth so that He could live, so that He could teach, so that we could learn, and so that He would die. And be resurrected on the third day we are ever approaching Easter. It's funny because I feel like we just finished up Christmas and now we are now focused on the march towards Jerusalem. This morning we're going to continue in our series according to Luke. We're going to be talking this morning about the master and his mission. And of course the mission is people. Jesus was going from village to village. He was going from person to person, speaking the good news of the gospel. Every place that would have him, Jesus would go. And Jesus would encounter along the way lots of different interesting things. People And it wouldn't take Jesus very long until he finally encountered the Pharisees. Again, if you go back through uh, Luke chapter 13, you'll see that Jesus is spending a great deal of his time walking from city to city, and he's teaching along the way, and he's encountering these Pharisees, and he begins to point out the flaws in their theology. And now we are at the very end of Luke chapter 13, and Jesus begins to talk about Jerusalem. And he begins to talk specifically about Palm Sunday. And he tells the people uh, that the next time that they see him, that they'll be saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, foreshadowing what he would eventually be doing in Jerusalem. This morning, I want to ask you a very important question. When it comes to Jesus, are we listening? Are we learning? Or are we laughing? Generally, we find ourselves in one of two categories. We, we tend to find ourselves either leaning in to Jesus or we end up laughing him off, thinking that his message is really not for us. We're modern day people after all. This is an ancient book, an ancient person from an ancient place. And yet many times we think that the message of Christ doesn't really so much apply to us. Now the principles of what's happening in Luke are the same principles of what happened today. Because even in Luke's day, even in Jesus' day, in this ancient world, the message of Christ was very real and it was very active, and yet there were still people that didn't either quite understand it, didn't quite get it, or maybe they didn't want to get it. And so they shrugged Jesus' message off, not understanding that they were missing out on eternal life and the eternal benefits that come with knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior. It was very difficult, by the way, for these Pharisees because they believed that it was their piety. They believed that it was their religiosity. They believed it was their legalism. They believed that it was all the things that they could say or do that would grant them access into heaven. And yet Jesus says none of those things will grant you access into heaven. It's all about knowing Jesus. See, these men were filled with religion, but they were empty on relationship. Friends, there's a lot of us that know people like that. Perhaps you're exiting a lifestyle of that even today. The once filled with religion, that maybe for you salvation came and well, I got to go to church today. Maybe for you, salvation meant, well, I've got to do so many good things today, because if I do so many good things, then our good God will love me enough to let me in. And friends, we have filled ourselves up with lots and lots of religion over the years, but we don't need to miss out on the relationship that Jesus has offered each and every one of us. Well, when we come to Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35, we have another interaction with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees paint themselves as somewhat a savior to the Savior. Uh, They say, Jesus, you need to leave. You need to get out of here. Why? Because Herod is trying to kill you. Because of, of Herod. Oh, Jesus, it's not because of us. Well, I mean, it's not because of us Pharisees that you need to leave. No, 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 Jesus, we're trying to help you. We're trying to protect you. We're trying to save you. It's all because of Herod. And we do know, by the way, that Jesus would have an encounter with Herod towards the end of his life here on planet Earth. But yet Jesus can see straight to the heart of these men. He knows good and well why they are trying to get rid of him. And so Jesus has quite a response for them. So this morning, let's go to Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. We're going to be reading this morning from the ESV. It says this At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. That was very thoughtful. And Jesus gives a very curious reply. He says, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem." Which, by the way, Jesus there is, again, telling somewhat of a joke. It was, by the way, common practice for the Jews to kill their prophets outside of Jerusalem. That was actually their favorite killing spot. They would never kill a prophet in Jerusalem. They would take them outside of the city walls, and that was there that they would do their dirty deed. And we also know, by the way, that Jesus himself, as he marched to Golgotha, as he marched the hill where he would eventually be crucified, where was that? Well, I promise you it was not within the city gates of Jerusalem. It was outside of the city walls that Jesus himself was hung on the tree. And Jesus is somewhat telling a joke, but he's also foreshadowing yet again what would eventually happen to him on the point of his resurrection. In verse 34, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how I have often longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look now, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This morning I want to cover four very brief points, if you will, four lessons from Jesus' altercation here with the Pharisees, one of many more to come. Uh, Roman numeral one is this, that we see Jesus under attack. Jesus is under attack. In verse 31, the Pharisees came to him and said, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. By the way, Jesus even today hears the same exact message. As believers in Christ, are we not showing up to places here even in the United States where we have people saying, leave this place. Leave. We don't want you here. Go somewhere else. Jesus, the name of Christ, the belief of Christ, it is under attack every single day, not only here in the United States, but around the world. We see a war on Jesus. To the best of my knowledge, I believe that there is a war being raged politically on Christ You see Jesus' name pop up in magazines and in media and almost never is it mentioned in a positive way. Rather, it's mentioned in a small, narrow-minded, unloving way. Jesus, this war on him politically we see uh, being divided out here in our nation. Even at our nation's capital, we see a war politically on Christ. Not only is there a war being raged politically on Jesus, but we also see that there is a war being waged on Jesus educationally. It's very difficult even today to have Jesus' name being mentioned in a school setting. In order for Christ to be discussed, in order for Jesus to be talked about, it has to be led by some of the youngest leaders we have. The students themselves are the only ones that are allowed to carry the name of Christ into school. We have Christian teachers whose mouths are literally shackled shut from being able to talk about Christ, their religion, their faith within a classroom. They're unable to pray with students. They're unable to speak truth into a student's life. And because we've seen it happen from grade school, it's progressed all the way on through the university level. Some of the most liberal places in the United States are on our university campuses where our students are not being taught anything about the biblical nature of Jesus, about his love, his compassion for them. Rather, they're being force-fed a, a, a message that is counteractive to that. There's a war being raged politically. There's a war being raged educationally. There is a war being waged against Christ financially. Have you seen the news stories recently about about Christian businesses that are coming under attack because of their views that they hold on to the Bible? Uh, businesses like Chick-fil-A, businesses, like, uh, uh, the, uh, businesses just like Chick-fil-A, uh, they, these businesses have uh, these folks that are attacking them because they are taking their stance on Jesus Christ. And we even see businesses falling away because of the pressure that's being placed on them because of their stances on biblical authority. There's war being waged against Jesus politically, educationally, financially, and also medically. Well, how? how what exactly do I mean by that, friends? I, I just heard here in 2019 that Planned Parenthood aborted more than 300,000 children in the United States alone in 2019. And over the past two years, they have aborted almost 700,000 children. And I believe that one of the greatest ways that we can attack God, one of the greatest ways that we can attack Jesus is to attack the unborn. And I believe it is one of the greatest evils in our society today that we would butcher children before they ever have the ability to breathe fresh air. Well, friends, I I will tell you that Jesus is under attack. He was under attack some 2,000 years ago, and I believe that he's under attack even now today. And I also would say that if you claim to be a believer in Christ, you're setting yourself up for future persecution. I don't know what that persecution will look like for us, but I believe that it is on its way. I do not, by the way, have the spiritual gift of prophecy, but I do have a gift of reading the times. And I believe that the church is headed for one of the greatest opportunities in its life, a, a great opportunity where we will see people both come and we'll see people go because of the persecution that we will experience because of the attack on Jesus. Jesus has even tells us in his scripture that if they will attack him, they will also attack us. If they persecute him, let it be so, because they will also persecute us. Jesus is under attack, and if we are believers in Christ, we need to be ready because it won't be Herod that wants to kill us, but it will be someone else. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, The Apostle Paul says the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience conscience has been seared as with a hot iron. It wasn't just in later times, but it was in the times of Jesus himself where people were being led astray from Christ, attacking him. So we have Jesus under attack in verse 31, but we also have Jesus' unwavering aggression in verses 32 and 33. He replies to the Pharisees, go tell that fox. Go tell that fox, I will keep driving out demons and healing people today. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. This is the Jesus that we often don't focus on in Sunday school. This is the Jesus that I like to get behind This is the Jesus that I find as a general, the Jesus that's not afraid to mince words, the Jesus that's not afraid to stand up for what's right, what's true, what's honorable. This is the Jesus that's not afraid to be obedient to his Father. This is the same Jesus that knows exactly where he stands in life. He knows exactly where he is, he knows where he's been, and by golly, he knows where he's going. Boy, this is the Jesus that is strong. This is the Jesus that is powerful. This is the Jesus that stands up to evil. This is a mighty Jesus, a warrior Jesus. This is not a weak-kneed Jesus looking off into the distance of space. This is a Jesus that we can follow. This is a strong Jesus. And yet many times we don't focus on this Christ And yet, clearly, this is the kind of Jesus that likes to go into temples and flip tables. My goodness. I love the fact that Jesus is aggressive here. Because Jesus knows ultimately what's at stake. The eternal outcome of all of humanity is at stake right now. And see, the Pharisees are saying, Oh, Jesus, we need you to leave, we need you to go. And Jesus says, who are you to deter me from my mission? And who are you to tell me what to do? I am the master. I am the rabbi. I am the teacher. I will go and do as I please as long as it's within the will of my Father who sent me. Man, this is a Jesus that I get excited about. This is a Jesus that I get passionate about. There's a a TV show that came out in the early 1990s. I believe it was 1992, and it was a very interesting show. By the way, it's still on TV now, uh, but it, the, the TV show is called The Real World. The Real World. It was the very first reality television show, the very first one that ever uh, was filmed and produced, and it was put on MTV. Now, back in 1992, my mom and dad uh, would not let me watch MTV. I was not allowed to watch MTV, and 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 and, uh, and I never did while they were watching. And um, <laughs> I never watched it while they were there. And uh, and 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 I know. I, and I know, by the way, my children are listening to me right now. All all three of them are in here, and I know good and well that when I tell them not to watch things, that they Respond in a probably a similar fashion. So, uh, I I did uh, have the opportunity to catch the Real World when it first came out, and of course, the Real World launched all the other reality shows that we have uh, come to know and love today. But do you remember at the very beginning of the Real World, there was a a, a statement? A sort of a thesis of what this show was going to be all about. And it started off like this, said this is the true story of seven strangers picked to live in a house, to work together, and to have their lives taped to find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. When people stop being polite and they start getting real. And the premise of the show is that they would find seven strangers that could not be more different from all different walks of life, from all different uh, uh, ethnicities and belief systems and political leanings, and they would throw them into this house and they would film every waking minute of their life. And and by the way, they would get paid $300 a week to do this. $300 a week. And then they were promised another $2,500 to come back and do a reunion episode. And they got to live in a pretty cool house in a pretty cool place for free. So that was pretty awesome. And, and it, it was interesting because the first few episodes, you really did have people trying to figure each other out. And eventually, though, people really did stop being polite and they really did start being real. But the one thing that I think is so unique about Jesus is that Jesus is not interested in being polite. Jesus is interested in being honest. He's interested in being truthful. And one of the greatest acts that anyone could ever do is to tell someone else the truth. And while it may appear that Jesus is being unpolite or impolite in this instance, I would actually say the opposite. I would say that this is the most actively loving that Jesus could possibly be. Because I first believed that Jesus is love. Amen? Jesus is love. Therefore, everything that Jesus does is loving. If Jesus is the physical embodiment of what love is here on earth, which I think we would all agree with that that's the truth, then that means even in this moment where Jesus tells the Pharisees to go tell that fox, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, is the greatest act of love to that point that Jesus has ever given anyone. Because in order for Jesus to be polite to Herod, it would mean that he'd have to be impolite to his father. And I promise you this, that Jesus is not going to be impolite to his father. He's going to be about the obedience of his father There is a war on Jesus. Jesus is clearly under attack. And yet we also see that Jesus is unwaveringly aggressive in his approach. He has a job to do and limited time to do it. Friends, let me ask you another question. Who is in charge of your daily schedule? See, there were two people vying For Jesus' schedule. Two people, two sets of people that wanted to tell Jesus what he should be doing and where he should be going. First you had the Pharisees. Oh Jesus, you should leave this place. You should go somewhere else. Why? Oh, here's the second person. Because Herod wants to kill you. Jesus, you should literally re-architect your entire schedule around what these people want you to do. I will say one of the greatest things that I am guilty of in life is allowing too much of me to be driven by other people. I I'm am I'm a people pleaser at, at my core. I, I, I want people to be happy. And, and if my wife were here this morning, she would even say, at Stuart's core, he will do anything. He will go a long way just to make someone else happy and she'll also tell you that if someone isn't happy that it absolutely crushes me. It does. Oh, it stinks sometimes to be me. <laughs> but but I will tell you this, while Jesus is a peacemaker, he's not a people pleaser. While Jesus is a peacemaker, he's not a people pleaser. Jesus was about the business of his father. And everything about Jesus' schedule was always instituted and architected in a way that he was being completely obedient to his heavenly father, not to the will of men. It's very good that Stuart Davidson does not show up in Luke chapter 13. Because if a huge group of people said, Stuart, you need to go, you need to get, you need to do this, there is a part of me just because I want to please them where I would say, okay, well, maybe I need to think about that. Maybe I need to go what they want me to do. And yet Jesus never does it. Jesus says, no one's going to control my schedule but me. Jesus says, no one's going to control my mission but me. I'm the only one who's going to make the play. I'm the only one that's going to make the call. And if that doesn't please you, which clearly, let's be honest, Jesus did not please the Pharisees. And Jesus' message to Herod, I'm sure, did not please Herod. But there was one person that was pleased. One person that was pleased. And do you know who that was? The Father. The Father was pleased. Friends, let me tell you right now, if you make the world mad at you, but it causes the Father to stand and applause for you, then you've done a good good job. You've had a good day. If if everybody else hates you because of the stance that you've made for Christ, but you know that your stance has glorified God and you've been completely obedient to him, then guess what? You have had a good day day There are many of us who spend so much of our time worried about what everybody else thinks, worried about what everybody else wants us to do, and yet we have to ask ourselves the question, God, what do you want us to do? And when we find out that mission, we should aggressively pursue it. We should aggressively pursue it. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51 and 52. This comes by the way from the Expanded Bible. This is a pretty neat Bible. It says, when the time was coming near for Jesus to depart or to ascend, he was determined to go to resolutely set out for, to set his face forward to Jerusalem. He sent some of his messengers ahead of him who went to a town of Samaria to make everything ready for him. This is when Jesus was making his way close to Jerusalem, making his way towards the cross. I love the fact that the expanded Bible says, says that he was resolute, meaning that there was nothing that could deter him, nothing that could sway him. He set his face towards the goal that God had set out for him. Friend, what is the goal that God has set out for you? And are you resolute to it? Are you aggressively pursuing it? Are you getting after it for God? So Jesus is under attack in verse 31. We see his unwavering aggression in verses 32 and 33. In Roman numeral 3, we have Jesus' unflattering announcement. Jesus makes a very unflattering announcement. He says, "Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who, sent, who were sent to you. How often I' have longed to gather your children together as hen as a hen would gather her chicks under her wings, and yet you are not willing. Look, your house now is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is doing a couple things here. One, he's reminding the Jewish people of where they've come from. He's reminding them, he's saying, listen, long ago, God sent you man after man, prophet after prophet, warning after warning, message after message, and every single time that God sent you a prophet, a man, a deliverer, you turned on them. You turned on them. You drugged them outside of Jerusalem. You stoned them and you killed them. And yet, even though you continually turn your backs on God, what does Jesus want to do? I want to take you in and protect you. It just shows how loving Jesus really is. That after every sin, after every fall, after every falter, that Jesus would still want to have a personal connection and relationship with these people. What eventually will happen is we will see that God's love is expanded, not to to just the Jews, but now to the entire world. The entire Gentile population of the world has the opportunity to be known by God and for us to know him to be a part of God's family. Not only do we see here him reminding them of their past, but he shows them the heart of their present. Even though you've done all of these things, I still would love to wrap myself around you and love you. And yet, verse 35, I would say as a message directly to the Pharisees themselves, your house is desolate. Again, these are religious people that Jesus is talking to. These are people that sing the songs. These are the people that give to the church. These are the people uh, that, that stand up with their hands raised. These are people that have all of the outward trappings of a religious person, and yet they have no relationship That Jesus would later call them whitewashed tombs. You are beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you are filled with dead, rotting corpses. And you can imagine the horror of the Pharisees when they hear this message of Christ. So you're telling me, Jesus, look at me. I've got all the trappings of a deeply religious person who's connected to God, and yet you're telling me that my house is desolate. It's desolate. It's empty. There's nothing there. Several years back, there was a movie that was made outside of my hometown of Montgomery. It was filmed in Watumpka, And the movie is called Big Fish. Have you ever heard of Big Fish? It's a Tim Burton film, by the way. And they built this huge set for Big Fish, right outside of Montgomery, it was built on the water in Wetumpka on a lake. And if you go back and you watch the movie, you'll see that the set that they built is incredible. It's gorgeous. I mean, it's very southern feeling, and, and there's lights that are draping down. At the very center of this town, they literally built a town for this movie. At the very center, at the end of the street of this set is a church, and it is gorgeous. I promise you, ladies, if you're getting married, you would want to go there to get married at this church. And if you were to go there today, this is one of the really neat things. This set, this film set that they built for Big Fish is still there. They just left it there. You could actually still go visit it even now. You could walk up to the church and see the buildings. And it's really neat when you watch the movie and then you actually go and visit the place. And you think, wow, this, was, this is pretty cool. But one of the things that you'll notice when you go there is that all of the buildings, the city that they built, it's all a facade. It looks like an actual church, but when you walk through the doors of the church, you realize very quickly that it doesn't even have a roof, that it's just a facade of a church, that these look like homes, but they're not really homes. They're just sort of the outside front pieces of a home. And friends, that's exactly what these Pharisees looked like to Jesus. They looked like they had some meat. They looked like they had some depth. They looked like they weren't shallow. But as soon as you walk through their doors, you realize that everything that they were was just a facade. And on the inside, there was absolutely nothing. And friends, Jesus warns us today. He warns us to not be like a Pharisee to not have the trappings of religiosity and yet have no relationship, no connection with God. Someone asked me last week as a matter of fact, they said, well, you know, pastor, I I, I was concerned over the scripture that you read because the scripture that you read I find very frightening. Because if you remember last week, we talked that that Jesus said, listen, there's going to be some that are going to show up at the master's door. They're going to knock and say, master, let me in. This is all a picture of heaven. And the master is going to let some in, and then others, he's going to keep the door shut. And he's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And they'll be cast out into darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he said, Pastor, how can I know? How can I have the assurance that I'm not like a Pharisee, that I'm, that I'm not a whitewashed tomb, that I'm not some empty facade, that, I, that I'm deeper, that I'm more connected? And the, my response to him, and this was my best response that I could come up with, and maybe somebody else may have a better one. But my best response was this. It's all about conviction. It's all about conviction. Friends, as sinners who've been saved by grace, of which there is no merit of our own so that we cannot boast, it all comes down to the Holy Spirit. And one of the greatest ways that we can feel the Holy Spirit is when we sin, we are convicted. If you feel no conviction over sin, then you may not have the Holy Spirit. If you feel nothing, if you feel like the Lord doesn't speak to you, communicate with you, he doesn't rebuke you, he doesn't correct you, well then you may not be in possession of the Holy Spirit in the first place. One of the greatest ways that you can know that you are a part of the kingdom of God is when God steers you, guides you, directs you away from sin and not toward it. In Jude chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 He says, Dear friends, I've been eagerly planning to write you about the salvation we all share, but now I must find that I have to write you about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once and for all to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. And the condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, it's all about conviction. It's all about conviction. The Pharisees looked like religious people, but they had no relationship, no conviction of their hearts. So we see Jesus under attack in verse 31. We see his aggressive nature in verse 32 and 33. We have an announcement in verse 34. And then we have Jesus' ultimate application. His ultimate application for us today in verse 35. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I think it's wonderful that Jesus says, look at yourself. Look at yourself. Look to your own house. By by the way, isn't it wonderful that Jesus doesn't say, uh, look to my house that is left to you. No, Jesus says, no, this is your house. This is you. You own this. This is your decision making. This is your doing. If your house is desolate, it's not my fault. It's your fault. It's your decisions that have led you to this place. The path that you have been on for many years now has led you to this place. And friends, maybe you found yourself on a path today where you would look at the outside of your house signifying your life and you realize my life is a shell, it's a sham. Uh, There's nothing depth in me at all. I've got no roots. I've got no application. I've got no ability to, to function correctly with Christ because I don't have Christ. Well, friend, maybe today is the day. In John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Jesus comes and says, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were Born not of blood nor the will or of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. My favorite part of that scripture, by the way, is to anyone, to all, to all that would receive Him. That means that anybody can come at any time to receive Christ. It's never too late and it's certainly never too early. Brothers and sisters, my prayer for you today is that you will make the call and that you will connect. With Christ, would you bow your heads with me, Lord? We come before you, thanking you today for your ministry, for your love. Father, forgive us when we fall into the trap where we believe that we have to earn your love, that we have to earn your grace and your forgiveness. And Jesus, thank you that you were about the mission and the ministry of your Father. Lord, help us as your children, as your disciples, to be about your mission as well, to be obedient to you, not worrying about what the crowd would think, but Lord, only worrying about what you would think. Lord, bless us now as we have a time of invitation, and all God's people said, amen.
1: Thanks again for tuning in
0: to today's podcast, and we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube, and at 10.05, our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.